listeners, you're listening to Nightmare Junkhead. Nightmare Junkhead! With Genius McGee and Greg D. I'm Gigi Saul Guerrero from Lucha Gore Productions. Ah! Gore is love, baby. in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that doesn't so much tiptoe through the tulips, but rather thrashes through them. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're celebrating a decade of horror as we delve into the mouth of March Madness and travel back 10 years to talk the horror classics from our 2010 bracket. And you don't have to expose your skin to listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it will download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your silly bands hole. And if you're out on social media, you can follow us along. Uh, we're on Twitter at Nightmare Junkhead, and on Facebook at Nightmare Junk. And of course, it is on the Book of Face, where we have that little events tab, which means... Shenanigans! But as we are recording almost all of these episodes way in advance in the into the Mouth of March Madness tournament... We're not quite sure what shenanigans they'll be, but they'll be shenanigans. There will definitely be shenanigans so you can always keep up to date at the events tab but more importantly online you will find our bracket which means and march madness into the month of march madness has begun and download the bracket pull it up play along the game but remember show your work always showing the work and as this episode is going to release on march 23rd technically the last week of our into the mouth of march madness Ooh. we've already experienced three decades worth of horror and battles and arguments and uh-huh. friends lost probably you know throughout this process <laughs> never recording there again <laughs> but this leads us to the year of 2010 and for for this whole tournament for the most part this is the first barrier that you have to go through right to really have that lasting legacy this is the first 10 years exactly this is the one does it have legs you're putting your running shoes on at this point you're getting ready for the big race but you're definitely in it to win it and box office be damned especially opening weekend box office if we're still talking passionately about a film 10 years after its release yeah then it's done something that is power <laughs> the you riddle know? of the riddle of film? It is. It's the riddle of making money ultimately. Because yeah. sadly, as much of an art this is, it is built around a commerce. Yeah. You know, you people are looking to make money. Bottom line. But interestingly enough, in the two thousand teens, these it was a mix of. I've seen it in the theaters. Um, there was a first time watch in there for this one from me. There's been a ni- this actually year does have a really nice mixture yeah. of films and ultimately some. I want to say diverse scares for the mm-hmm. most part. Oh, yeah, all over the place. And we'll get into that later um, in the rounds of the Hateful Eight, ultimately. But I definitely see kind of the direction that horror is starting to go a little bit more with a lot of the films that we're going into. Mm-hmm. And let's go ahead and go right into our first uh, bracket matchup here. Now, of course, in the first round, we have two bits of criteria that we look at when it comes to deciding which uh, film goes into the next round. Again, I like to think we are thinking the whole body when it comes to criteria. So in showing our work, the first thing we're going to ask is which of the two films is closer to our heart? Closer to the heart! 
Not too bad. It'll. Never. I need the guitar in the background. You, you do. We again. This needs to be a visual component. Right. But then the second thing that we look at is we go from the heart to the head, and we look at the bracket topic because each of our uh, matchups here are set specific with a bracket topic. And let's go ahead and go into our first one. And here in the Kansas City area, and we're we're recording here. I'll admit it; it's in the month of February. Mm-hmm. And uh, who I don't know, uh, genius, what's going on? Ooh, uh, burr! It's cold in here. I said there must be some toros in the atmosphere. I said burr! It's cold in here. Ice, ice, ice. Oh wee yo oh, wee yo. Oh. We're getting cold. Which means our two films, our first matchup, does indeed involve cold. Mm-hmm. It involves the snow. It involves just, unfortunately, what most people do not like being, and that is being cold. Yeah, burr. It is cold in here, so we've got two match films going up against each other, and quite honestly... Two different, different movies. Re- crazy different. We've got um, an example of international horror, mm-hmm. which I love, and we have an, an example of homegrown horror, if you will. So which two shall we go ahead and delve into first there, Genius? Well, let's talk about Rare Exports. Ah, Sanadong. Rare. <laughs> it's... It's 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 you can't escape it, can you? No. Because it's it's multiple There's Santa a Dong. Lot of Santa the, Dong. <laughs> the, the plural of Dong is Dongs, I guess. Yeah, technically, you, you see a lot of Kris Kringles. Oh. And so like, <laughs> but it's a great movie. This it, movie is this movie is great. This movie is on the con- constant Christmas rotation. It took me a while to see it. I this is one I did not see in the theater. I no. was probably within the last. Five or six years it took me to see it, and it is a movie that ultimately kind of had a little bit of a reputation. Mm-hmm. I knew enough about it that they said this is a it's just a great take. Take, and let me ask you this: Is this a Krampus movie? No, this is not a Krampus movie. And we had this discussion before. That spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. The thing, oh, of course, yeah. There's a lot of spoilers going the on. The thing that's in the ice that's actual Santa Claus. That he's just an evil, twisted one. He's more. He's more akin. Of Santa's sleigh, yeah, but he's versus got, he's got Krampus. The horns and everything. Oh, I yeah. To I mean, me, I to me, it. that's like a little Krampus being hidden. And then what I love of the take on this film, and it does come from Finland, is the stories of the elves are ultimately what we see as Santa, mm-hmm. because they ultimately you they catch a a rogue Santa. Uh, they're they're unearthing. There's a lot of mining going on, as it always goes to when they found something. And that something is what is believed to be Santa Claus. I think it's Krampus myself. But then all the the, the helpers come around. Yeah, there's all these like elves and misdirections, and you think it's one thing, and it's and it's a good family drama it's, too. It, there's a good family story subplot in it. That's what I also like about it. Is I would you call would you call this a gateway family horror? Film? Absolutely, I would call it a gateway Christmas horror movie because while there's a lot of nudity, there's not a lot of like gore and violence and stuff. I mean, it's about a boy believing in Santa Claus, basically. It's that, it's it's a twisted version of a beloved holiday classic and when you can add a little heart to your film yeah that's what i think gives it the legs for the most part because let's face it there's a lot of holiday horror out there yeah there's some really good holiday horror and there's there's some some not so good ones but you feel for all the characters in this this even the ones that you think are villains are going to wind up being like helpers at the end and and you wind up caring about especially because this kid is in peril and the kid is named, and I'm going to probably butcher the pronunciation, but Oni Tomila. And what I love about him is he has, and what I always adore with a lot of these Christmas films is, especially with the kids involved, is there's that moment of, you know, if you give up your belief in Santa, do, are you giving up your childhood? Is that the, mm-hmm. you know, the end of your innocence? And there's that bit where he, 
he still wants to believe in Santa. He's going through all of his things. Uh, just his 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 outfit, for the most part, looks not otherworldly, but definitely something from another culture potentially. Yeah, it looks like a a, a weird variation of Ralphie. It's it's it, I love it. And again, with good international horror, you should feel you're getting elements from the other culture. Mm-hmm. And what I love about this film, though, also is not only the family um, aspect of it, but the sense of adventure that comes out because yeah. there is definitely horror elements in it. Don't get me wrong. Oh, there's a lot of horror. Like the butcher scenes is a lot of horror elements, but it's also like Amblin esque. It is very you know. It's like if Amblin was Swedish Amblin. It's you know. <laughs> yeah, I know you. We're already putting a reel on everything right now with everything I know you're wanting to do there. <laughs> um, we had a chance to see this on the big screen as part of our Christmas with the nerds three years ago, maybe. I believe so. Yeah. And it played wonderfully, and wonderfully. I think pretty much the entire crowd was seeing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And this is one, like you said, because I was able to see it recently. It is, it's in constant rotation yeah. now. And, and the best part, it's like an hour and twenty-four minutes, maybe. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that we're we're still now starting to see some films that are ninety minutes, as, right around the ninety minutes, as opposed to like two and a half, three hours, which is just pretty much whatever what's all we get nowadays so i love the fact that we can keep it the brevity it really works for it it's a great twist on a good christmas movie because it's 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 a lot of fun too as as mean as it can get it's never full mean no no not at all like you said it is definitely something you could look at as a gateway film um but one even if you don't have kids it still is mirthful Mm -hmm. you gotta enjoy it now on the flip side of that we're gonna look at a movie that is definitely one that you could play definitely during christmas but you could it, play it in January. You could play it in February. This is not in the Christmas rotation. This is no, in the winter no. rotation. Yes. And this is a movie, ultimately, that, oh, man, regardless if you've skied or not, it doesn't matter because I had a, we had a chance, ultimately, and we are talking, of course, Adam Green's Frozen, mm-hmm. not to be confused with... The, let it go. Yeah, let it go. Let that, not, yeah, let that no. joke go. It's yep. not going to happen. No. But... We had a chance to see this up on the big screen through Panic Fest, mm-hmm. and this was a movie that I'd seen multiple times through DVD and home viewings, but because of its interesting uh, home, the, the theatrical experience, you know, not many people did get to see it up on the big screen, yeah. and uh, this movie hurts. This is a I, I have a I have a tough time watching Frozen. Yeah. It, I, 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 a lot of it has to do, I think, with the fact that as a dog owner... There's a scene in this movie that hit me hard, dude. That now, especially now yeah. with Owen, with Dina, you know now yeah. that burden of having these people, these pets people waiting care for, you. for you. Yes, that, that hit me hard because it, it was a sad scene. I remember seeing it like neither of these movies, Rare Exports or Frozen, I saw in the theater. These were old after video. Absolutely. Uh, 2012 would probably be the first time I saw Rare Exports, but like 2015 would probably be the first time I saw Frozen. So I was a little bit late to the game on this one, but I was I remember watching it and being like, "Oh, this is a good movie," but then that thing is like, "Oh, that hurt," you know? Like the the actress that pain that she does sells it. But seeing it on the big screen this time, especially with what I know and I, the whole communal experience and mm-hmm. and everything, it was just like Oh my god! It wasn't it wasn't trained to be sun, but definitely I was like my eyes were welling up, and I'm like, oh man, I need to go home and hug my kitties, or like even if you don't have kitties, or like hug my family or something, hug somebody who cares about me, you know. And it was really sad. Like what would what would I do if all of a sudden I'm stuck on the 
up in the slopes on that thing. First of all, fuck that noise. I was going to say, ultimately, I know you'd never find yourself in that scenario. <laughs> no. I might go once, but the good town, I wouldn't. Because I know. You know what? Because, no, I'm not going to go skiing. Because if you go off course, you're in the woods. And I don't want to go in the woods. I'm going to have to care. There's monsters and bears that diddle, all sorts of shit. I've seen The Revenant. So, like, no, I'm not going to go skiing. Because then now I, got, now I got the phobia of getting stuck up in the... Uh, thing and have them in my hand gloved this would make a great pairing with gerald's game if you want hand trauma oh my god the the <clears throat> it's it goes from sarah mclaughlin to gallo giallo real really quick. quickly <laughs> that's funny yeah you gotta you gotta watch how you transition that though the person i was sitting next to she mentioned that her two biggest phobias are heights and being like frozen to death basically well have we got a movie for you she, how do you feel about wolves oh like, my <laughs> lord she squirmed through so much of the film and again i'm not saying we take delight in that but that peripheral viewing the communal thing i enjoyed it on her behalf because she was just but she got through it because she because that's the one thing also this is still a really good movie mm -hmm. both of these movies are very minimal Mm -hmm. which I think works well to their... Uh, they're very intimate for the most part. Uh, with Rare Exports, you pretty much stay within that very small town. And with Frozen, you're just on a ski lift. And they're also both very bloodless. Yes. They're yes. both very, very bloodless. You you, all, could, you see a lot of aftermath in Frozen, and you see a lot of implications, because the implications in Rare Exports. But like for the most part, there's not a lot of on-screen kills or a lot of gore. But with the ones that is... They hit. Yeah, on both movies. Well, even uh, on the Frozen side, the fact that they throw in a lot of Easter eggs for if you're a movie crypt fan or if you know Adam Green for the most part, but it, but ultimately if you're not familiar with him, you're going to see a guy dr uh, driving one of the big snow plows. And if you're a horror fan, you go, oh, Kane Hodder. If you're not a horror fan, you just go, oh, it's some dude some driving, dude driving a, a snow plow. Awesome. Those are, to me, the perfect Easter eggs that you can throw in there. Uh, the wolves in the film are frightening. Mm -hmm. The scenarios that this makes movie makes you go through, again, you want to talk about putting yourself in that scenario. I've gone snowboarding before. In fact, uh, when I threw my snowboard up there when Adam and Joe were talking to add to the ambiance, if you will. Uh, after watching this film, didn't do it all that often because, <laughs> number one, I'm not that good at it. Number two, it's like, what would I do? Oh, Lord right. have mercy. Oh, yeah, it's it, terrifying. It, and that's what a good movie like this will put you when, if you can put yourself in the, the scenario of the people going through it and it's realistic that just it sticks with you. Mm -hmm. Hardcore. Yeah. So hardcore. But ultimately, as much as we love both of these films, only one can move forward to the round of the Scream 16. So of the two, uh, Rare Exports and Frozen, Genius McGee, which one is closer to your heart? This one is crazy hard because I both kind of came late to the game with both of them. Both of them were home watching. Both of them I had fantastic theater experiences with, right? But I think for closer to the heart, I'm going to have to say, which goes against character because I love horror comedies, but I'm going to have to go Frozen. I think while... Rare Exports is way more fun. I think Frozen does something that a horror movie, like you said, should. It instills that fear. It revalidates your fears that you already have and reasons why I'm not going to go skiing and reasons <laughs> why I'm going to always wear gloves if I'm touching metal shit, right. you know? So, and it does stick with you. And the fact that now, you know, I'm not afraid of, I'm not afraid of Santa Claus. I love Christmas horror, but now I'm afraid of what's going to happen to my kitties. You know what I'm saying? It's very and real. so, yeah, that's a little added trauma that i didn't have the first time i saw it so the fact that i'm bringing something new 
I'm going to have to go for Closer to the Heart. I'm going to have to go Frozen. I like that. I like that. I also, this was tough for me because, like I said, I didn't see them during their original theatrical run, but I have now seen both in the theater. Mm -hmm. So I know the kind of the transformative power and Rare Exports played like gangbusters, but I don't, maybe it was the fact that I had that person sitting next to me that disclosed, hey, this is going to be a a wild ride, ultimately. Uh, The fact that Adam was there, Joe was there. We had just a great, Dustin was there, our friends, we had everyone there for the experience. So many people, a lot of people were seeing it for the first time, and that makes a difference for me. So in terms of being closer to the heart, I also have to say Frozen. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, in regards to the topic here, yeah. Both movies are cold as shit. Both movies that when you're watching it, the temperature drops 20 degrees. Absolutely. Absolutely. Both you are, the, the cold element is you know, just crucial to both films, but only one can uh, go forward. So Genius, which of the two is a little bit more cold in there? See, when I see Rare Exports, it always, like, makes me extra more cold because that little boy runs around in his underwear and, like, no socks and shoes (laughs) in the snow. And I'm like, how in the fuck can you do that? And he doesn't seem to mind. I got to wear slippers if I want to go in the bathroom because that linoleum is cold as shit. You know, I mean, so like, I don't know how he's doing that shit. How, so that's pretty goddamn cold, but he doesn't seem to affect him, but it affects the people in Frozen. The cold yeah. is absolutely part of the story. Now, while the setting of the cold is integral to rare exports, it's the North fucking pole, right? This, the cold is the main villain. Yeah. The cold is the, the, the one that's killing everybody and making the wolves hungry and doing all that stuff. The dark, all that stuff. And I know what it's like to be out there in the cold. Yeah. I don't know what it's like to go run into the bathroom in the cold, but I fucking hate it. <laughs> so I'm going to go frozen because that's more cold and stilling. Yeah, it's this one wasn't too tough for me when it came to that particular topic because I have been up on a ski lift. Yeah. I have been hanging up there while you're waiting for everyone to go through, and I have been hit with those cold bursts of air. And no matter how well layered I am, you still feel it. And the fear then of that, of just being exposed, the exposure, I yeah. think, is Fucking the biggest gloving. thing. Oh, it's it's haunting to this day. And that's that's what's great with this movie, is it not only hits you in the heart, ultimately, with the dog speech, but then when you can cringe with the body horror involved in it, yeah. From that, it's it's a winner, and it's not a happy ending. No, it is not. It's not a happy. It is ending. not at all. It may seem like it, but it's not. And so, and yeah. with a score of four to zero, a clean sweep. Man, I think the exposure is sixteen uh, seconds. Christmas is over. It is over, and Frozen advances into the round of the Scream sixteen, and from to go from a little dour to something to put a smile on our face. Exactly. Thankfully, the next bracket topic and pairing, I think, will definitely do that. Obviously, throughout the tournament, we have talked our love of horror comedies, and we've got another great pairing here in the year of 2010. In fact, our bracket topic is Giggle Mortis. <laughs> and how did we break that one down again? Uh, laughing till you're dead. Laughing till death. Laughing to death. And we've got a remake mm-hmm. of a movie that we've already talked <laughs> on previously. The last, on another bracket, a full circle movie, and one that is totally original and. An outliner of the brackets, I would think. And I love... This is comedy, comedy, comedy. Very good representation here, Mm -hmm. ultimately. So of the two, Piranha 3D and Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which one do we talk first? Let's do Piranha 3D. Piranha... I love this movie. I saw this movie in the theater twice. Which ones? Uh, Piranha. 
I don't know which theaters. Oh, which theaters? Oh, this is West Glen. Oh, West Glen. Oh, okay. this is West okay. Glen. Yeah, and so like, I love the end. The the ending sticks with me. Well, if these are the babies, then where's the mom? Right. I mean, instantly the movie breaks out. You see Richard Dreyfus, which as Hooper, getting- it has been a while since I've watched this. So rewatching it again, that made me giggle and go, "Holy shit!" I totally forgot he shows up. As as Hooper, <laughs> right? What do like like say? Okay, this is not the piranha you're ready for. This is Alexandra Aha Aja makes such unique, Jeez. gruesome movies with such characters you despise and you just want to see them come up. And it's because Jerry O'Connell being like the dirty sleaze ball, uh, the the and the tension with the kids running around. Ving Rhames being Ving Rhames, Elizabeth Shue, Christopher Lloyd showing up. This was like. A fun, fun movie. It is ultimately fun. Yeah. That's what I had with this movie. It's mean as fucking shit, but, too. On the other side. Eli Roth getting his comeuppance. It's, it's been a weird week because because I've rewatched this one <laughs> just not too long ago and we had a chance to check out Rodman Flinders' uh, Eat Brains Love. I've seen a lot of genital mutation, mutilation yeah. going on here recently. <laughs> Forgot about that as well. A lot and of the dog fact eating. that. It's he's it's spit back out. Well, here's the thing. When I saw this movie, I saw it in 3D. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so when she yaks over the side, it comes at you in 3D. When the the penis, when he vomits the penis out, that just comes at, at you in 3D. Like there's so many. There was so many scenes of just like like just coming at you in 3D was so fun that like even when it's not in 3D, it's still like this is a fun fucking movie. I am missing. You did it. I didn't hear a lot of that. Yeah, that's true. There, the that's movie. the only thing that wasn't there. I was missing that because I went back to going to the original. And that's what I love about the original is the character that the, the piranha have. And don't get me wrong. The CG in this film, I think, worked for the piranha because then they went overboard on the practical effects with the cause and effect, ultimately, of yeah. the piranha. Yeah. And that's what really stood out to me on this viewing, is the, the gore. The violence and gore in this, the whole like spring break death scene was fantastic. It's a, it's a smorgasbord and for you, him. You already noticed? Okay, so maybe it's because, like, well, good, as as a society has moved past this, and two, we also have, like, like internet now. There's no more, like, Girls Gone Wild. You know, because this this was that that was a major factor of this movie, and I was thinking about it. They don't have that anymore, which is no. good. Which is good because that was a that that dude who ran it was a garbage person. But at the same time, like you know, I'm glad. That's one thing that I'm glad. Like people are, what the fuck is? Why are they like showing Spring Break? But like, I remember the '80s. Well, and, and I'm wondering how many of the how much of the audience will go. Wait, what are they referencing? Is yeah. that just something? Is that a YouTube channel I'm not familiar with? Right, like Wild Wild Girls. Uh, right? Weirdly dates it in a in a in a in weird a way. Weird way, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever been to a big Wild Spring Break? No, God no, <laughs> God no. That's that's the other thing that stood out to me watching this time. I'm watching that going, I God, I would never be there. That just it makes me feel old. It is horrible. It's like watching Scott Pilgrim. I'm just like, oh, I just get off my lawn. It's awful. And again, I've I appreciate the fact that my relationship with films change over time. But man, <laughs> it's a bummer when I watch these kind of movies and I'm like, damn kids. Whatever, dude. I'm watching Piranha and I'm like, when I retire, I'm going to Daytona. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be that creepy old guy over there in the corner that's like, what's is like that? if Matt said he's sitting there eating a popsicle. <laughs> just, just just leave him, leave just ignore him. He's fine. He's hard. Harmless. Watch out for piranhas. <laughs> uh, uh. The, the kills I thought were great. 
the 3D, so it worked for you it was extremely for the gimmick itself. Okay. It extreme, I like I like 3D movies. If there's a movie in 3D, like even back in the day when you had to have, but like like My Bloody Valentine 3D, mm-hmm. when it says, specifically says da, 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 3D, then I'm like I'm a hundred percent for it, hundred percent for it. I'm not gonna go out and like ooh. Suicide Squad and IMAX 3D, cool. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not gonna go do that. Right. But like, like Freddy's Dead, I went full on. Of course on. you did. And of course like, you did. Uh, Friday Thirteenth Three, when they, even though I was too young to see it, they would show it on the 3D, and you had to get the glasses. Old school so, glasses. Yeah. What kind of glasses did you use for this one? Do you remember? Um, it was those like ones that looked like visors. Cool. Those those black visors. They're like Cyclops from yeah. the X Men. Uh huh. It was cool. Elizabeth Shoe showing up, obviously Gooden. Ving Rhames, mm-hmm. they they really capitalized on kind of the the 80s, but also with like Kelly Brook, who yeah. was kind of an inter, uh, internet superstar there for a while. And also just the fact that, she, I mean, the gratuity, gratuity of the there film. There was a lot of gratuity, but and it was played for laughs, too. That's what was funny. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't gratuity. Like, so the big gratuity thing is they're at the bottom of this glass bottom oh. boat. It's all classy. Meanwhile, these chicks are like going around. It is. And then I'm thinking to myself, right? Like, okay, I can understand why this is titillating, but <laughs> at some point they got to breathe because they're down yes. there the whole fucking episode. And he's like, all right, all right. And he's being a total creep. And so you want it, him yes. and Paul Shear, and you want to either get their comeuppance so bad. And when they do, it's so wonderful because it's hilarious. Yeah. Like everything is played for laughs in this. So you can't take this movie seriously. There's even a little bit of care for the family as well, which I was actually shocked with. And Adam Scott. Being super good in this movie, he's quite good, which yeah. is a shame at the very end there. Again, spoilers, but no, this is definitely one I had a lot of fun with. Um, I would say probably plays more as a horror film for me than a comedy in general. Um, I was laughing the whole time during oh, no, that. No, during get me that wrong. Uh, don't get me wrong. During, I, during the uh, spring break massacre, I was like, <laughs> "Well, it does what I was hoping the Meg would do." If did you did you ever yeah. get around to see the Meg? Oh, a Jason Statham shark movie? Should, yeah, Do you think like, I didn't your mom, see that I'm sure movie? There, that's a, it's a Megalodon. You know, just like... <laughs> but when like, the Meg Twice. is showing up... Jesus Christ. Twice. When the Meg shows up there at that big beach, that's what I wanted. Yeah, exactly. I didn't get it. Yeah, I, I wanted to see Prada. Bad Carnage. Yeah. Uh, even when the, you see an underwater monster movie, you want to see underwater monster carnage. That's absolutely. just how it goes. You need that cause and effect. Exactly. We get it with Frozen. We got it with Piranha. Um, so going then to another film that... I was kind of late to the game on. You I do. didn't see this in the theater. Nope. I'll be seeing it um, actually here in just a few weeks through Terror Tuesday. And one that I'm glad is getting uh, more and more of a cult following. Uh, Eli Craig's Tucker and Dale versus Evil. This movie is fucking gold. It's just a golden, golden movie. The comedy works. The pathos works. Um, the actress who I fucking adore she's been she was actually in piranha 3d Catherine bolden Mm -hmm. yeah she's on 30 rock and she's also the main girl in tucker and dale she's also in the bold and the beautiful as Flo, and uh, she's got a very interesting story arc i hope she stays with wyatt but it sucks because now sally specter only finds out that she only has one month to live so that puts a whole wrench in things check out genius's side podcast uh the the bold and the beautiful podcast I whatever, dude. That's one of my stories. Hey, don't give it. Hey, they well all rounded. have a place. They all have a place. But no, Tucker and Dale is so funny. It's so full of heart. It's so full of care. Uh, Alan Tudyk kills it, and it's all about communication. 
the first time I watched this, I threw out of it. I was just like, my God, this needs to be shown as an example of why you need to be able to communicate, of why you should never put so much, um, you know, thought into someone's uh, bias. Yes. uh, You know, appearance, all those things. And on top of it, it plays as a great horror flick, Mm -hmm. plays as a great horror comedy, plays as a great homage to so many different films. When he comes out with With the bee stings and he's got the chainsaw. Yeah, so good. You said it's gold. I kind of like your love of Gremlins 2 for the 1990 bracket. That's kind of my love right now for Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Yeah. Because it's a movie that I think that you can show a lot of normies for the most part. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because the gore, it's definitely there. There's a lot of gore. There's a lot of gore. And it's like, not like theater of the mind, man. The wood chipper scene is worth price of admission alone. (laughs) And that's what's interesting with these two films is you'd think in 2010 they'd be more CGI heavy, but they both play well on the practical effects. And that's why ultimately I think if you look at the two, the directors, both of them, Love horror. Mm-hmm. You can see it. You know, with Aja, oh, yeah. we've seen it through his French extremity films. Um, bon. And then obviously with Eli here, you totally see like the love, especially for the backwoods horror. Yeah, exploitation. Exploitation, totally. Um, but also the fact that you really grow to care the relationship as showed by Tyler Labine and Alan Tudyk. Yeah. Like Tucker and Dale, they genuinely love each other, and I love them. I know you I'm invested have, in them. You exactly. know, I want their their summer cabin to come together. I hope they came up with the sequel, the Tyler, the set in the same universe. They've been talking about it for so long, yeah. But ultimately, again, we're still talking about the original ten years later. Fondly, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, "Man, fuck Tucker and Dale." You know what I'm saying? Even what in the movie, horror- were we talking about just this this tournament? We were talking about that. I think maybe Tremors. was it Tremors? It was yes. Tremors. Nobody's ever said, man, fuck Tremors. Tremors sucks. Eat a dick, Tremors. Nobody ever said that. Nobody's ever said about, man, Tucker and Dale, that movie was fucking stupid. I, I didn't find it funny. Fuck yourself, man. That movie is hilarious. I, and even if you don't like it, I think... You it, can find some merit in it. Absolutely. Um, if you like the Wrong Turn franchise, you'll find something in there. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, obviously. If you don't like funny in your horror, you'll like the gore in it. Oh. If you don't like the gore in it, well, we're sorry about that. But if you, you're, you'll like this one because it's funny gore. It's yeah. extremely funny gore. It's not over the top like Peter Jackson funny gore, but it's pretty damn close. Oh, no, it's, it definitely. It's, it's very splattery, but it's a lot of fun. Well, as funny gore as it is, only one movie can move into the round of the Scream 16. So we're going to be looking at here. But only one can make it to the round of the Scream 16. So Genius McGee, between Piranha 3D and Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, which of the two are closer to the heart? As much as I love Tucker and Dale, and as much as I think it's one of the finest examples of horror comedy... I had such a ball with Piranha in the theater. I had such a ball. So many memories are made. There's running jokes <laughs> in my family. Well, if that's the mama, where's the baby, right? And so, like, just because of that alone, that memory, that experience in the theater, I got to go Piranha. Memories made. Mm-hmm. It matters on yeah. this podcast. Well, this one was tough for me as well because I didn't see either in the theater, um, but I had good first viewings of both. But when it comes to the nostalgia strings, ultimately – I'm, I'm, it's the one that makes me feel good, the one that ultimately I'm going to seek out. And between the two, for me, just because of its pure entertainment value and the fact that I think it's educational as well, I got to go with Tucker and Dale versus Evil for that, for, for me, for me, when it comes mm-hmm. to nostalgia. Now, that being said, of the two, our bracket topic, Giggle Mortis. Yeah. So ultimately, which of the two then made you laugh yourself to death? 
<laughs> or however you want to interpret this particular topic. I cracked the fuck up during the beach scene of all that carnage and stuff, but I'm a monster. But for pure funny alone, Tucker and Dale, there's the comedy just works. You have to be, this is dark comedy, both of them. Piranha's a lot meaner. Yeah. So that might not be everybody, not everybody might find as funny as I do, but I think Tucker and Dale is universally funny just because of the performances alone. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I ultimately, when I was looking at this topic with the bracket topic, again, I enjoy both of the films. I laughed kind of not at Piranha for the most part. I, because I think of the meanness involved, I didn't have as, I had fun with it. But I really have fun oh, with yeah. Tucker and Dale versus Evil. It's a more fun I, movie. I think it lends itself a little bit more. It's one I would be more willing to lend to the normies, if you will. And with horror comedies, I think that's probably your best kind of gateway. So I would. I also have to say, in in terms of being a, a laughing till you die, like the laughter itself being true, I got to go with Tucker and Dale versus Evil. And by a count of three to one, I guess uh, laughing its way into the round of the Scream Sixteen, we have Tucker and Dale. Versus evil. Yep. Gone fishing. Gone fishing. Yeah, going go to the cabin. Going to the cabin. Now, one thing that we definitely have seen a lot in the 2000s, in the 2010s, it's definitely been something that is um, prominent, are the remakes. Mm-hmm. A lot of remakes. Always a lot of remakes. Some real good. Some not so much. Which leads us to our next bracket topic, which is remake mistake. Indeed. And we have two remakes going up against each other. And it'll be interesting to talk, especially when it comes down to the bracket topic, because I have some feelings on this. Uh, but when we we chose two. We've got Let Me In going up against The Crazies. Let's, which one do we start with first? Let's go with The Crazies. Okay. Let's go with The Crazies. I remember seeing the original mm-hmm. on this one many, 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 many moons ago. Yeah. Oh, on VHS because I always distinctly remember the VHS cover of that with the the, with white. the white suit, yes. the font, and the yeah, it's nuts. I I didn't like it the first time I saw it. I just it didn't feel like a movie to me for the most part. Um, came, coming back to it a long time ago, not a long time ago, but not too recent. I obviously saw the bones that was what Romero was going for mm-hmm. initially, and I thought, wow, I'm glad they remade it because. I really like the remake of The Crazies. Nice. And it's rare for me to, go, especially something that Romero was involved in, but I think ultimately they were able to take, because ultimately if you look at kind of the um, the essence of the film, which is... Toxic water. Yeah, and anti-authority, you know, uh-huh. distrust of the government. It's such a Romero film and a Romero theme. Oh, yeah. And you throw it into modern day setting, I think it worked even better now yeah. with a little bit of a budget because I think that's what you need a remake to do. Did you see this in the theater? I did. Me too. I did. Me too. On Timothy Oliphant alone. See, I like. I like Timothy Oliphant. Oh, I know. I love Timothy Oliphant. But for me, it was actually what I what really uh, nailed home for me were the set pieces because there were several set pieces in this film. Genuinely terrifying. That, yes. Genuinely terrifying. The pitchfork scene. Yes. The sound design. The tension. The fact that he's just going and systematically stabbing these things mm-hmm. in the theater, I was I was scared. I remember just the be drawing, drawing my knees into my chest, just that literal visceral reaction, and just enjoying it, of course. Yeah. Uh, and even rewatching it here, 
it still hit me. The morgue scene got me. Oh, the morgue scene. The is morgue so scene was so good. good. And the shots that they did with the Thrasher. Yes. Where the Thrasher red herring was so, so well done because when he does what he de- does, you're like, holy oh. shit! It's <clears throat> it's it's such a good story. And so, like you said, it's an f you to the government. It's like don't trust, don't drink the water, you know. And it's so bleak. It is very so nihilistic. So bleak. But the tension, even when after they escape all the rest of the crazies and they're in their truck stop and they think everything's okay because they they can't trust anybody. Yep. Everybody's trying to kill them. Every yep. single person. The, the good guys uh, are like dropping like flies. They have bad guys on the end. And then they got these killer fucking yokel hillbilly hunters going to town on them. And that was some scary ass shit in the truck stop. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ooh. Well, that's why I think the film really ties to a lot of the stuff that Romero always stressed. It's not necessarily the zombies that are bad. It's, it's the us. People. Yeah. And it's not the virus that we're And It's a man-made virus as well, mm-hmm. which it all loves For population back. control. <sighs> through hardware, through the... Cra- it's something that has always been with us. There's a really good Anthony Burgess novel called The Wanting Seed that is all about uh, population control. And it's where society becomes cannibalistic, of course. They have this saying where it's, um, it's oh, what is it? It's sexual to be homo because they're, they want to promote um, non uh, ways to... Non-procreation. Exactly. It's a, it's a really interesting flick. But it's one of those themes that you will always see throughout yeah. regardless. But Government I, trying to keep us down, man. And like I said, I ultimately I think the fact that they were able to kind of capitalize what Romero was going for, a little bit more bombastic with the money, but keeping true to the essence of what he was going for at the time. And Maria Bello killed it. Was it Maria Bello? No, it was. It was, uh, she was from, hold on, because when I was watching, I was like, hey, that is, let me get to, uh, uh, go ahead, go ahead. and. Uh, I thought it was Maria Bello. I could be wrong. No, that's, Maria Bello was in the uh, history of violence. This is Rada Mitchell from Pitch Black. Ah, and also, of course, Daniel Panabaker, uh, uh-huh. who we talked about last year in the Friday the 13th Everybody remake. Everybody gets it so mean. I thought Daniel Panabaker was going to make it to the end because, like, in some movies she does, yep. you know. But, she no, she went out. Not at all. Right when you think you're safe in that uh, truck wash scene. The that, car wash. The that's car wash. That was crazy because it happened out of nowhere. And you're like, holy shit, she's fucking dead now. Yeah. No, that's. There was some good, good kills in this one. Now, like I said, this was a this was a definite good rewatch for me. Mm-hmm. What wasn't necessarily a good rewatch for me on the really yes okay let me in yeah by Matt Reeves mm-hmm. and we just two years ago we had the original on Into the Mouth of March Madness again coming back to it which uh, I don't know and I want to talk about this because this is timely the fact that. We had the perfectly good Swedish film originally that it was based on with some subtitles. Parasite winning the best picture now has brought out so much weirdness online about subtitles and foreign films and people having issues with it. How long is it before we get a Parasite remake here in the U.S.? They're talking about a Train to Busan remake. Oh, my God. They're talking about an English Train to Busan. I'm like, what, is it going to be Train to Boston? What the fuck is it going to be? If you're going to tell me that I'm going to watch a movie with Chloe Jenkins in it and Richard Richard Jenkins. (laughs) Chloe Jenkins. That's a different movie altogether. Different film on that one. No, and Chloe (laughs) Moretz. And I'm not going to enjoy it all that much. I'd say you've got to be crazy because I love Richard Jenkins. I love, but, and I like them in the film. 
But I think I had such a distaste in my mouth from the fact that I, you know, not just two years ago, rewatched, you know, Let the Right One In. Mm-hmm. And we're only two years removed. And yet we have this American remake, which to me doesn't really add anything. I mean, I will say no. To I will. The yeah, I will, go to, stuff. I will go to bat on for one one aspect of the movie that I thought did they did better than the original, original. and that's the Richard Jenkins okay. character. That's and I. Yeah, I I I that it's. The one thing that they did better than the original was they flushed out a little bit of more of that relationship, and even at the beginning of what his what he goes through and all of his pathos. But I think that's the that's Richard Jenkins. Thank you, and that's why you get a Richard Jenkins. Yeah, that's why this movie. Okay, <clears throat> we we are a podcast of positivity, and I liked this movie. Don't get me wrong when I'm, what I'm about to say. I liked this movie, but this movie had no business being remade. This movie does does not really need to exist because two years, like you said, two years. Now, if Let Me In came out 20 years ago. Absolutely. That's a different story. But there's no reason to remake something just because you don't want to read the subtitles. Yes, and that's... You know, I mean, like... That's the issue I had with it, and especially, like I said, due to... And I'm not even a big Oscar person, but I'm, and I'm glad that, you know, Bong Woon Song won because The Host is a really great film. And the Snow fact that... Snowpiercer's fucking oh, rad Snow as Pierce shit. is amazing. Yeah. And a lot of people are going to reverse engineer that, and, and obviously people are going to hopefully go into Korean cinema, which, holy smokes, you got, there's oh a world Oh, boy, for you. I saw the devil, all sorts of magical, Unreal. magical, magical yes. shit. So hopefully that's going to... And again, when we talk about the international horror, the idea is to give you an insight into a different culture, and they're yeah. definitely going to get that. But like I said... When I say it's, this movie had no, it's, it's, it didn't need to be remade. Listen, I, I mean it with like, I mean it really doesn't. And if you when like you have, this over the original, you're then not that's wrong. cool. Yep. But the original was so good yeah. that the, for it being two years later, that was it's unnecessary. I should have said yeah. instead of no business, it's unnecessary, an unnecessary remake. Oh, well. But it's still. It's, there was still some really good set pieces. Absolutely, uh, Chloe Glowitzman did really good. Yes, um, did. It was extremely violent and gory. Yes. Extreme, way more so than the original. And but the, the the tension just got me when he's hiding in the back of the tr- the car, yeah. waiting for the kill. Yeah, all the scenes that Richard Jenkins was in was like, if this was in the original, this would be a goddamn masterpiece. But it's in the remake. Yeah. And I don't think we need, and again, we don't necessarily need to Frankenstein those together. But we have two that we're talking, and only one can move forward into the round of the Scream 16. So of the two remakes we're looking at, Let Me In and The Crazies, Genius McGee, which one is closer to your heart? I saw both these in the theater, uh, but I had such a better time with Crazies. There was, even in theater experience, the the tension that it built. The baseball scene, just out of nowhere, like, holy shit, what's going to happen? Just... I remember every, that was in the trailer and it worked. And so just the tension in the theater and the watch rewatching it and it being better than the original in a lot of different ways. I'm going to go with the crazies. This shouldn't be a big surprise. I did see the crazies in the theater. I did not see Let Me In in the theater. You didn't? No, no. And nostalgia itself. Now, that being said, I did see Let the Right One In in the theater, <laughs> which again is uh, maybe I'm biased on this round. I might have to like disclude myself. I'm oh. telling you. But yeah, for me, it's the crazies. And it's ultimately because I did see it in the theater. And also the first theatrical experience. I should say I tried to watch it the first time. Got about to the car wash scene. And I'm pretty sure And this was back when Amy and I were together. Um. Uh, we just had a bad theatrical experience. Like the people were noisy and everything. I think we walked out at that point. Mm. Was able to go around back to it though. But even that didn't deter me from let me in. So I've, I got to go with the crazies on that one. 
Now, ultimately, the bracket topic... Remake or mistake. So, Genius McGee... Uh, I, I, I think I've already said it, man. I'm going to have to go the crazies as for this one. Not saying that, like, again, again, I feel like I have to backpedal and, like, re- and repeat myself with this, but I'm mean, not saying that the movie's not without its merits, but it's nowhere near as good as the original which just came out two years prior there was no need for this and i'm also going to say the crazies on that because ultimately two years for from let the right one and let me in 30 some odd years between the 74 original and the one that came out and still prescient and still prescient yes and that's the thing when you can make it relevant that's that's the idea of a very successful remake so ultimately between the two and by a very clean sweep here uh, don't drink the water because the crazies is going into the round of the Scream 16, which leads us to our last pairing, our last bracket bracket topic for 2010 and the haunted Teens. Holy smokes. Did I have some fun with these two films? OK, I did not. OK, good. I had we fun have... with one of them, but I did not have fun with the other one. But this was one of a first. This was my first one of my first timers uh, in this bracket. First timers for both of them for me, and I need to preface this with the viewing experiences. So in my ideal setting, when I'm watching a movie, if I'm at home, it is here in the basement on my projector with a surround sound because it's it looks good, it sounds good, it's optimal, it's set up that way, right? Unfortunately, Lola in her advanced age now, when we're here in the basement, I of course bring down her bed, but her little bed down here on the concrete floor, you know, if she's happy, she's happiest up on the bed. So ultimately, I didn't get a chance to see both of these films, our haunted teens, in the optimal setting here downstairs in the basement on the big screen with the surround sound. I did watch it on a laptop in my bed with Lola at my feet with my little headphones in, okay? That's not optimal to me. But the way the sound setup in both of these films are, are set up, the fact that, and I've mentioned it before, whenever I watch haunted house movies now that I'm by myself... And now that Lola's getting older, if I hear anything now, that scares me more so than anything. So I will just say between Insidious and Paranormal Activity 2 and our both of them, I was blown away because of the fact that I had this like really minimal, intimate setting viewing experience that would have probably been different here in the basement. But based on my all those things I just said made them wonderful. Really? Insidious, especially. Because there's moments in Insidious, and let's start with Insidious. Yeah. And I will say this, Insidious, I've joked about it before, but I get Insidious confused with... with sinister, or, Conjuring, yes, those all movies. that stuff, yeah. But there's a, there's a scene in Insidious where the motion, their alarm is set off at home. I have an alarm here at home. There's nothing more terrifying a thought for me than waking up in the middle of the night with my alarm going off and not knowing what's set it off. So he's wandering the house... And I've got this little, I've, it's pitch black in my, in my, you know, I'm watching that everything is pitch black, got the little earbuds in and it's just pounding me, man, just the sound. And I'm looking and I can't see anything. And I'm, all I'm thinking about is, oh my God, please, please don't let my alarm go off right now while this is happening. Oh my God. I am just going to just shit my pants. <laughs> You texted the, me, fuck this movie. I did. Okay, I think I did, actually. You did. You texted I, me, fuck this movie. You said, fuck this movie twice. You, I had, <laughs> because of, I, again, Lola doesn't really react to sounds anymore. You had anymore. Alive. I did. You had your, this was your Eaten Alive movie. I had, I was terrified throughout my screening of Insidious. <laughs> oh my God. It may have been less had I not had the earphones on and just everything else going on? I saw this movie in the theater. 
it's there was two scenes that scared the ever living piss out of me in the theater. I mean, the whole theater just gasped. And the first one wasn't even that much of a jump scare. The first one was um, when she's walking by the window when they first moved to the new house because Roseburn fucking kills it in this movie. in this movie. She kills it. So she's walking by the house and they tiptoe through the tulips and then you just see like little Ben <laughs> oh, Wolf dancing. Oh. You could hear everybody in the theater go, <gasps> what got me though then is I can't remember if it's before or after that, but then when the little kid runs across after, the screen, just as he jumps out of the shiffer robe, I did just, a boom. I did, I did, I did, ah! And I kind of kicked Lola a little with my feet, in which at which time she kind of looked at me like, really, dude? Like, what is your problem? The second one that got me was when Darth Maul snuck up behind him. The man with the red face when the first reveal, like, it was that. And he goes, huh? Ah! You can see, I and, jumped the first time I saw it. And the second time I saw it for the rewatch, I jumped. And that scene is a scene, because, and it's because of that scene that I can say, I've seen this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the seance scene I here's my here's the thing that I'm, was cool. I'm having a great time with the characters with everyone. And we're like, well, that's Lee Wan now. 45 minutes. Yeah, Lee, I know like, Lee Wan L showing up 45 minutes in Barbara Hershey shows up. Yeah. When we move. And then and that like 15 minutes later, then Lynn Shea shows Shea up. Shows up. I'm like, are you kidding me? We're just going to Lee in tow. It's <laughs> unreal. And they provide a little bit of like levity, which mm-hmm. I needed. But as soon as that left, then immediately the terror hits. When he takes that picture, he goes, ah, we're just seeing if this place is phony baloney. Click, 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 click. Holy shit. He just just backs up like, no, we got to call it. It's not phony baloney. Well, the mitts, when they're in the seance scene and she puts on that gas mask, which number one just looks metal as all get out. But when they're like, the the pictures are going to react to stuff in the room. And I was just petrified waiting for that first flash to go off i'm like oh god something's here something's here just terrified me now that being said uh, yes that being said it kind of we both have the same feeling yeah it, where it we've got two-thirds of a truly terrifying movie it didn't stick the landing during my viewing experience once we get to the was it the further i believe is what mm-hmm. it's called the other realm i wasn't as terrified i wasn't as scared it and I was glad, actually, because I was so terrified at that point. I needed a release. The scene, right, a little bit before it, when she looks out the window and there's a dude pacing outside the window and then he's pacing inside the house. I was like, ooh, that was genuinely creepy. I needed a reprieve from that. And I was able to actually appreciate the production design of our bad guy's environment, his house. Yeah. Like, tiptoe through the tulips by the window. When he becomes manifest in his physical form, I didn't find it as terrifying, like I said. But I needed that at that point, and I grew to appreciate it mm-hmm. a little bit more. So I'm just saying, man, Insidious was an incredible first viewing for me. Yeah, even though it didn't stick the landing, the, the first two-thirds, there was a proper damn good scary haunted yeah. house movie in there. Two haunted houses. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It turns out it wasn't the house, actually, no. that's haunted, which I like, which is the little twist we get. And you don't see a little... You don't see astral plane shit a lot. No, you don't, actually. It, this was a very unique spin on the paranormal haunted genre. Yeah. And with when Lynn Shea was like, he's in the whisper, and she's whispering like, he's in the corner, he's got a long one. Whispering what she looks like, and he's trying to draw... Yeah. Every time Lynn Shea was on screen, it was so she's, tense. Yeah, she's ridiculously good in this film. No, everyone brings their A game. And like I said, I had a great first time viewing with it. And that leads us then to the second in a franchise of which we talked about the original mm-hmm. and Into the Mouth of March Madness, which if you go back to that year and me talking about the original Paranormal Activity, I had a great first viewing in the basement. Proper, ideally. 
I was in the bedroom again, same basic experience with Lola, uh, on the bed, on the laptop, headphones in, and Paranormal Activity 2 killed it again for me. Yeah? Yeah. Multiple times, I screeched, I just reacted, I was appreciated the fact that they've kind of added to the mythology, that this is really a a prequel to everything, that we kind of got larger cast, larger scares, I had a good time with it. I'm I'm getting a look from you here, genius. How was your thoughts with Paranormal Activity Two? Man. <laughs> so if you listen to the podcast, I'm not the biggest fan of found footage movies, and I'm not either. E- am I? And I'm not even the biggest fan of the first Paranormal Activity Two. And my problems with Paranormal Activity One, I'm sorry, yeah, my my problems with Paranormal Activity One still lingered back in the Paranormal Activity Two. Fucking do something. That's fair. I was I now while. I generally liked this a lot better than I liked Paranormal Activity 1. I was, because I was like, this movie is so fucking slow. There was more sets, um, more quality scares in this one. There was a couple of good scares, a lot of good, like, ooh. I did enjoy the world building. Mm-hmm. I did enjoy that fact. Um, the teenage daughter, I thought she killed it. Um, but I hated the dad. I wanted him he- to go from the minute he came on screen i'm like you fucking yuppie piece of shit i hope you get turned inside out the men in this franchise have been pretty gnarly for the most part where you do want them to get their comeuppance and ultimately i'm a manager at burger king Uh, (laughs) well there's nothing wrong with that you don't have to be a dick about it you know what i'm saying absolutely no there was the moment when all of the cupboards blew open all at once that game that gave me a good scare i liked that. i kicked lola again my apologies to lola line over there no i like i said i appreciated what they were going for and i also i'm not the biggest found footage fan i appreciate it for, in terms of it's a storytelling delivery device ultimately and that's what this franchise has been built upon yeah is a very low budget very minimal direction scares yeah ultimately but see i loved like VHS too, and like a couple of other things, but I just cannot get into the Paranormal Activity franchise. So from what I've seen, so that's fair. That's fair. Again, it's definitely not for everyone, but it definitely hit the sweet spot for me. But as much sweets as both of these hit, only one can advance into the next round. So between Insidious and Paranormal Activity Two, Genius McGee, which one is closer to your heart? Again, theater experiences plays a lot into that, and just. Still remembering those scares from that theater? Yeah, I got to go with Insidious. Such a good scary movie. That is fair. And I'm also going to go back to my initial viewing experience with both of them by myself. Earphones in on a laptop. Both were really, really memorable. But the one that got me the most was Insidious. There was just a combination of everything. It's James Wan makes good movies. Yeah. James Wan and Lee Whannell make good movies. Some very good stuff there. Now, that being said, we're going to go to the bracket topic, which is Haunted Teens. And, and they, that, they both were. It was perfect. It was, it, they both were, and it fits the Haunted Teen like time motif. So, that being said, however you're going to interpret and in, uh, showing your work there, Genius, which one is a better Haunted Teen flick? I'm going to go with Insidious because you get a little bit more of why he's haunted as opposed to like 
just whispers of what's going on with paranormal activity. You get more story with that. Yeah. But like you go into this kid's head, you know, you go, you see why he's haunted and what's haunting him as opposed to just shadows. And what's haunting him is terrifying. True. So oh, yeah. I'm going to go insidious. Now I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to go in strength of numbers here. And I'm going to give my vote to paranormal activity too, only because we only have one haunted teen in insidious paranormal activity. Technically, the sisters are the ones that are haunted. Three. That's true. That's true. Yes. So, by pure volume by alone, pure, it's quite okay. So it's it's quantity, not yeah, quality. quality. And again, teens scare me as it is. So damn kids getting get off, off my, my ghost lawn. Well, the one that's going to be uh, getting off my ghost lawn will be Paranormal Activity Two because as it is, Insidious has made its way into the round of the Scream 16. Ooh. Which means we have some interesting matchups here. Wow. Frozen versus Tucker versus Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Yes. And then we have the Crazies going up against Insidious. Ooh. Again, what I I like what 2010 offers here. So we definitely have uh, two phenomenally talented, wonderful people, podcasts coming on here uh, for uh, the round of Scream 16 and The Hateful Eight. It's going to be fun and a bun. To see which uh, film from 2010 will represent in the round of the Frightful Four. So until this Friday, this is genius. Oh, shit. Is it genius, McGee? Man. (laughs) Oh, no, we're in the further. I think we're, I'm just need to eat at this point. So this is Greg D. (laughs) And I'm Genius McGee. And we will try to see you in your dreams. (laughs) 